Today, my guest is Heather, Dr. Heather Ferguson, the Drug Diversion Prevention Program Manager at UW Medicine in Seattle, Washington. I asked Heather here to share some of the things that UW is doing or challenges they may be facing, some things they are maybe pondering and thinking about implementing. But before we get into that, Heather, I want you to tell us a little bit about you, your pharmacy career, how you got to being the program manager for diversion prevention. Certainly, thank you, uh, Terry, for having me today. Um, I definitely uh, took the non-traditional path to get where I am now. I started my career in pharmacy, working in the inpatient setting as a pharmacy tech years ago. Um, and I did it on my days off of when I was a paramedic. I used to be a paramedic many moons ago. And I, I really enjoyed the work in the inpatient setting. Obviously, it's, it's totally different than um, emergency medicine. Um, so it prompted me to go to pharmacy school. Since becoming a pharmacist, I've had the opportunity to work in a variety of setting, settings. Um, they've included inpatient and outpatient pharmacy setting. I had a brief stint as an ambulatory care clinical pharmacist, and I also spent several years as a, a critical care ICU pharmacist at UW Medicine's uh, Level 1 Trauma Center, Harborview. Um, you know, I also, after that, I've kind of switched to more administrative roles. That was probably about 10 years ago, and I started working as a med safety officer, and I did that for UW Medicine for a few years, and then I went to another organization. But then, um, you know, I, I really was looking for something to di different to do. I, I really uh, thrive on learning, constant learning, and so um, I saw that, you know, Harborview or Utah Medicine was looking for a drug diversion, somebody to start this drug diversion program. And I found it very interesting and challenging and kind of really being able to help continue working on patient safety, but then also working on staff and employee safety. And so that was really exciting to me. So about five years ago now, uh, I started working in this role and I've, I've enjoyed okay. it. I mean, some days are hard, but I really enjoy the work I do. Yeah, yeah. Your path it seems it's similar to mine. Take off the paramedic and the technician. I didn't start that way, but the clinical floors and then into med safety. And, you know, this I think is a part of medication safety. And then, like you said, it's also the patient safety and the employee safety. So, um, yeah, it's a great pathway. You've got a lot of experiences that all help you with what you're doing now because you have that understanding of all of those different areas. Absolutely. Which I think is great. I'm very thankful for the path I took to get here. It has been. Yes. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you started the program for UW Medicine, right? So you got to go from the ground up and you've been doing it for a few years now. Do you remember any of the challenges? I mean, I'm sure there's current challenges, but do you remember any of those challenges that you started with a new program and a new position for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I remember vividly, uh, as somebody described it, like drinking from a fire hose, <laughs> first of all, just really changing, you know, the, the, your thought pattern at work and the, and the stuff you're thinking about. I was very fortunate when I started this position to have full leadership buy-in. So I know um, some organizations and some individuals have really struggled to get that buy-in to develop the program. So fortunately, our organization was already there, which was incredibly helpful. Uh, but, you know, there was this uh, culture of secrecy, though, almost, you know, individuals had been diverting or being released uh, from the organization for diverting or for maybe behaviors uh, that might have been related to diverting. But it was always maybe the, the area manager and HR that would be dealing with this. And so that had been what had been going on for a while. Pharmacy often didn't know when somebody was being released. So, 
you know, of course, the secrecy was more to try and keep it confidential, right? You want to protect protect individuals' um, identity confidentiality, but it's it's really challenging because that makes it challenging for the organization to uh, do their mandatory reporting, right? We have the DEA 106, we have to report to the licensing commission. And so, you know, there was this culture of secrecy that really made it impossible to um, keep our patients safe. Uh, you know, like many other organizations, I think one of the first things I did, uh, we did was create an investigation response team. So pulling all those key stakeholders together to discuss the concern. Uh, you know, I think our, our managers, they were very appreciative of that process and, and HR had to get on board. You know, I mean, there's individuals have been working in HR for years and they've had their processes and that. And so um, I, I think that they really liked that collective decision making that came from this response team. Uh, so, so we eventually got on board. I think one of the other challenges initially was making sure who kept what documentation. Uh, I think when we first started this, uh, the challenge I didn't discover until the nursing commission uh, had asked me for documents then was nobody kept notes because they thought I was keeping notes on everything. And so while I keep certain notes, you know, it's HR still needs to follow their processes. Nurse managers still need to keep their documentation. But, but you know, I think it, it was really kind of just getting everybody on the same page. But now that we're there, we can tackle any challenges that come up together. And so it's been very beneficial. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. You talk about the records. I'm going through that right now with one of my clients. They're like, Terry, where are all the, you know, it's like, well, you guys have a folder. It's, you know, but um, everyone's who reported. And because now it's a little bit past the time that it is, and it's not fresh in everybody's mind, but you're right, those records and keeping those in a, a single place where I might add, people can get to it because should your program director leave and they need to get that, then it shouldn't be on a single person's files, right? Because you run into trouble there too. When we spoke, yeah, yeah. When we spoke previously, you mentioned your desire to establish some sort of peer group for those who were struggling with substance abuse problems. Can you tell us about your what your vision is for that type of program? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I believe most organizations have created or in the process of creating peer support processes within their facilities, really focusing on workforce well-being. You know, I mean, we've we've moved um, into really, uh, focusing on trauma-informed care with our patients, and we need to do the same thing with our workforce. Uh, and, and, and I see part of this, um, you know, really with those peer support groups, can we have something that focuses a little bit more on individuals who may be in the situation of kind of focusing it more um, in the situation of recovery? Um, you know, as you know, the updated ASHP guidelines, drug diversion prevention guidelines were recently released. Uh, pre-press, and they stated that um, organizations should establish a process to support recovery for healthcare workers, um, including including allowing contracts for return to work. Um, you know, I, I personally haven't been through recovery, but I'm assuming that in that process coming back to work, there's probably a lot of hesitation, you know, maybe shame, um, and a lot of thoughts that they go through, and it would be really nice if we could have some kind of peers who are already in that situation to help support them. 
Um, you know, I'm sure that most organizations probably have individuals who've been successful in their recovery working, you know, maybe they're further down that path. And so, so that would be my goal. And I would love to see an opportunity to create groups like that. You know, we're already part of the way probably with our peer support well-being groups, but can we get a little bit more focused and help these individuals? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Now, if we have a peer support group for those individuals that are in the recovery process, that means we have those individuals that have had a substance abuse problem and are in the recovery process at our institution, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that more and more people are open to that. I, I feel like you know, five years ago, you just, you don't, it's like you're termed and you're done and you're not my problem anymore. But I feel more and more people that I engage in conversations with are open to that. But with that comes a lot, right? There's policies and procedures that you need to have in place. There's extended monitoring. Uh, how, what is that going to look like? So if you're considering those types of things, then have you given any thought to what the process could look like if you were to do something like that? And, and it looks like you have. So can you walk us through some of that? Yeah, I'll say, first of all, being in Washington State, I feel very fortunate. Um, our nursing commission and uh, the alternative discipline program for the nursing commission, they released a joint statement. Um, I want to say it was probably in 2020, so a couple of years ago now. And, you know, their, their statement is really encouraging people to enter recovery and then encouraging organizations to support the recovery process. Mm -hmm by allowing return to work. And so I think that really set the stage for us to start thinking about it. Um, you know, I think it, it's, you gotta, you, if you're gonna do it, I think one of the things you're gonna have to think about, and this is something that I've been thinking about, is that, you know, really making sure that you gain the leadership by, and obviously they have to support the process um, because anybody working for them is, is under their purview. And, um, but, you know, one of the ways you think about this, think about the staffing shortages that we have right now. Do you want to terminate that individual and then bring somebody else in unknown? Or do you want to support an individual who's probably been loyal to your organization and been a great employee um, and, and, and help support them through recovery? So I think these are things to think about. And that's always something I'm like, especially now with a high rate of travelers, high incidence of travelers, it's like, and I even, I learned the other day that we have agency people as well who may just come in and work one day, which I don't know yeah. how that works, but that was something I was totally amazed by. Um, you know, so, so really, you, you know, you got to get their buy-in, but I think one of the things that you really probably need um, when I talk to individuals about this is, is manager training, first of all, really making sure they understand what that process looks like. Um, you know, they, it, it will help give them information to feel more comfortable about supporting an individual, hiring an individual into their, their, their unit. Um, but of course, you know, these individuals initially, depending on where they are in their recovery, may not be appropriate for every care area, right? So for instance, if somebody is early in their recovery, I know a lot of the organizations alternative to discipline programs will not allow individuals to have access to controlled substances. Um, and I know they've talked in the past, well, you can have somebody else administer, another nurse administer those controlled substances, but we know that's not really possible. So really, you know, organizations should probably think about where are care areas that people can practice and you don't have controlled substances. One of the places that I've thought about when I, when I think about this is ambulatory care areas, you know, these clinics that you have. Um, you know, there's certainly areas in the organization where nurses are doing maybe triage calls um, or triaging or preparing pre-op settings. 
Um, you know, of course, with any of these settings, you have to make sure, you know, what's the proximity to controlled substances and what's the access. Um, because, you know, I think there's always that, I, I think about there's always that a possibility if somebody working with them knows that they're a nurse or, you know, an anesthesiologist, but may not know that they're not there in recovery or shouldn't have access, are they access, is somebody going to inadvertently ask them, hey, can you hold my controlled substance? So, so I think these are things to think about. Of course, you need to have the, um, the, HR needs to have a policy for return to work. And most of them do, but does it cover stuff like this? So when I think big picture, that's what I, I think might Right, right. Yeah, case management, where there, you know, there's so much, if you have an education department, or nursing education, there's a lot of places actually that you can put them. Do you think that if they don't have access to controlled substances, do you see the need for putting in place random testing in their journey while they're employed? Well, so so what I think is great is um, because through our alternative to discipline program, discipline program in the state, they are they go through random testing for that, right? And most okay. individuals, if they are in it for you know substance use disorder, and they have the known substance use disorder, they have random testing. They'll usually go for a five-year program. So I feel that that's pretty um, pretty good. So we don't need to have it in, in, in the organization. Uh, you know, one of the things I think about, though, is if you think about the timing, depending on what they're using, if fentanyl, you know, again, it's it's it, it goes out of your system pretty quickly. And so, you know, you still have to kind of keep that consideration. Do those tests, are they going to sure. capture yeah. Are the alternative for discipline programs pretty open in terms of do they let the facilities know this is our list that we're checking for? Do they do they give you positive negative tests do, or do they just if no news is good news? Well, I will say that I don't deal. I mean, I, I do have them on. I, I, I don't think that they will necessarily. So if I think individuals have to sign a, an agreement, right, that information can be released to your organizations. OK. Um, I think that, um, you know, I've talked to ours here just to learn more about the program and they will let you know when somebody's non-compliant. Um, you know, okay. Obviously recovery, you know, it's, it's a process. Our, just like any medical condition, you know, people are not always compliant. They're not compliant with their blood yeah. pressure meds or diabetes meds, yeah. the same through recovery. And so they do give them chances. Um, so I think that part of that contract that they sign though, does say that any notification of positive tests do have to be notified, that the organization would be notified. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. So it is, it's really kind of a, yeah, no news is good news. It, you know, you can be confident that they're doing what they need to do. Um, okay, well, that sounds great, yeah. Do you, um, do you participate in investigative interviews? Uh, I do, actually. <laughs> okay. All right, that, that's a big topic lately um, for a lot of the listeners. I think that's an area where several don't because you know maybe it's HR that does it or they have a whole different system and process. So if you have any tips or suggestions or lessons learned on that that you'd like to share, I think they would love to hear that. Certainly, I will say um, in pharmacy school, they do not teach you <laughs> to do this. I, I, yeah, and, and I will add that I think, you know, I think it takes a different skill set. And so I think it is hard to find a pharmacist 
that is the kind of person with that skill set. And and I will add too, I think that's why it's hard to find pharmacists, well, at least in the experience that I have, who want to be directors or, you know, administrators or, or, or some sort, because it is a different skill set. Yeah, I, I agree totally. I think one of the things that I would encourage anybody to do if they haven't done it is really find a training program. Um, you can do them. I think there's they're even online now. There's several online. There's some that are like, I think I did a three-day program and it was really helpful. I, you know, the, the whole thought process, learning that process uh, is, is, is very powerful. Um, you know, I, I, before I did that program, I went in with um, a pharmacy director in HR and they just, at the onset, here's this data, what's happening here? And that <laughs> wasn't very successful, right? And so right. I, my process is really to start, you know, start with the really easy questions, really understand. I tell them I try to understand their workflows because I think it's really important when you start asking those questions. What do they say their workflows are? I've oftentimes uh, in the, at the beginning, just asking it before I even ask them what happened, well, how they describe their workflow explains half of my questions later, right? But then oftentimes when they're reverting, their workflow that they describe does not explain any of the activity that I see, right? And so there's a lot that can be asked just immediately, kind of really setting the foundation and understanding their workflows. Um, and understanding what, you know, when do they not follow these workflows and that. And so it, it's been really helpful. Even after my training, it's definitely taking me many years mm -hmm. to kind of perfect this. Um, you know, I think I was excited. I remember the the, the first time I had a traveler admit, because uh, that's one of my challenges I'm struggling with now, is making sure that we do the same full process for travelers, the same investigation as others, but the travelers seem to give you less information and um, so it's definitely a process I developed over the years. And also, this is actually another challenge I had because a lot of our HR colleagues have their particular process for doing investigatory meetings. And so really gaining buy-in for letting me lead these meetings. Of course, I had to build their trust and and, and show them that I can do that. And so uh, it, it's it's definitely that you you can perfect. It's, it's very uncomfortable at first trying to do this, but... Um, really finding your niche niche and how to have these conversations is something that over time you you will event, eventually get it yeah i i totally agree with you and it there is something to be said for getting some training by those that have that experience and i'll share just a, a brief story i i i took some training myself and you know still remember the first time it's like okay here we go it's very nerve-wracking because you know you're trying to try all these things out and i too am still trying to perfect um i don't have as many years it sounds like as you do doing it i've been doing it a couple of years now but um so i've been helping a, a facility a system with some of that training for their diversion response teams that they have and we've just finished one round of of you know it's a fairly abbreviated training compared to you know what i went to but i'm teaching them with you know everything that that i have and, and using some videos and stuff and it was so exciting because last week the diversion team met and before the meeting as we're all getting on you know the the team's call one of the people who does interviews not just she hasn't done any for diversion but she's in quality and and needs to do interviews for completely different things and she's like terry oh my gosh i gotta share with you it worked. I implemented some of those things that you talked about. And I, she says, we were at an impasse 
and I tried this and I tried this and oh my gosh, he admitted it. And she said, I was so excited and I knew exactly what she was gonna say next because it happened to me. She said, I was so excited that I forgot to finish and ask about, well, what about, and give me the D and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I did too. I've done <laughs> so, that, I've done that. I, and I can't tell you how many I've walked out and like, oh, I should have asked this or I should have asked this. <laughs> yes. I, I will say yeah. one thing that I think, you know, I've, I've definitely, you know, we have our colleagues across the, the nation that do this and, and I do know others where they don't participate, but I do say the value of having a pharmacist do this is, you know, if it's just an HR colleague or somebody else who may not understand the data is intimately intimately as a pharmacist does that can be a barrier right um because yeah. if they say they do something and it, it you know it doesn't make sense to a pharmacist but hr might say okay <laughs> right 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 yeah valuable. there there have been several times that i haven't participated in and then hr will have their meeting and then they'll come to me and say okay this is what they said and it's like that makes zero sense at all but that moment now has passed and you gotta you know bring them back for another time and you've just lost that momentum so i 100 percent agree with you it, it has, has to be somebody with clinical knowledge that can understand when it's just just doesn't make sense 100 percent agree yeah yeah well, thank you very much. This was great. Um, you've shared some great things, some things for people to think about and um, some experiences that they can learn from. And uh, hopefully it's encouraging to everybody as we look toward really reintegrating our people. And, you know, obviously I don't want anyone to misconstrue in our interviews when we're like, yes, a confession. I mean, it's we want the truth, obviously, and we get excited that there's a confession because that means now maybe they can get the help. And of course, we're training and we're learning. And so if we can get somebody to that point where they feel comfortable admitting it and then can hopefully begin that journey of, of recovery, then that is exciting in that part as my husband says a good day for me is a bad day for somebody else which ultimately yes but down the line that bad day for them um, when they've been confronted is hopefully the beginning of of that uh, more good days after they get through that so we we just have to remember that exactly. yeah all right thank you very much heather for your time i know you've got a lot going on so i appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us and share with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the time.